Bonjour, life sparklers, it's Claire. Welcome on the Integrally Alive podcast. Thanks for listening. Here we explore stories, wisdom and tools for shifting from resistance and stress to resilience and living the life you choose. And today, Charlie Jaffe is coming back to continue the discussion started in the previous episode. So if you didn't listen to the first part, you probably want to do that first. As today, we continue the discussion about fear, turning our pain into power, owning our story, learning from our crisis, enjoying life. And we talk about the writing of her first book together with our dad, Turning Crisis into Success, a Australian Entrepreneur's Lessons on Overcoming Challenge While Keeping Your Shit Together. So let's dive in. I find it really interesting that what you say about sharing your stories is essential, but it has to be the right time. Uh, too soon can be really the contrary of healing. And then you don't want to, sh- you don't want to share it with anyone. Because, um, I mean, in my experience, I know that some people can hold discomfort or pain. Some people just want to run away. And usually these are the person that have actually not dealt with discomfort or and pain in their own life. So they will reflect it back to you actually, or push it, push you back because it's not nothing to, to do with you. It's just they don't, your, your pain is just too much for them <laughs> or your discomfort is just too much for them. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting, you know, especially like, I feel like it's almost like scaffolding, like, you know, like building your tolerance. So for me, uh, especially, yeah when it came to sharing around sexual violence, I'm very happy that I did sort of slowly over time because there are points in time where I did get very negative responses. Um, And I mean, that was really hard to deal with. People sort of, the standard things that we say is like, yo, it was your fault, like you're a man, whatever. Um, And for me, if I hadn't done that work leading up to it, I can't imagine, like, even having done all of that work, it, I felt it in my whole body, my entire, like every ounce of me was super charged and angry and upset. And like, how can, how can this person that I know uh, be saying this to me? Like, how can they not understand how, like, I wasn't, I like, it was, it's one thing if it's like saying a very big out there comment, like it was something that wasn't very controversial. And one thing that was really powerful in that moment was not just the work I'd done to get there, but like you said, being able to separate from it, being like, this feels so personal. This is not about me. Mm-hmm. This is about what this story or this comment ignites in this other person's head. And it's about the work they haven't done. And it's also about their own trauma or their own history. Um, and that's not making it okay. Like it is, it was like th- this person's response was absolutely not okay. But when I was able to see that it was about them uh, more than me, and that I was just a symbol uh, where they were projecting the stuff they hadn't dealt with, it was easier i mean not easy but it it, it, yeah. damaged it it made it 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 gave me more ability to work with it and then the other side that was so helpful was you know all these different people that kind of digitally came to my side uh and reached out and some of them were really ignited like they were actually in more distress than i was mm-hmm. uh, it really they couldn't be- believe seeing, seeing this but other people what was really powerful was them saying i can't believe this happened this is so not okay are you okay uh mm-hmm. how can i um, and having those allies next to us are huge. I sometimes talk about, you know, life, life in these crises or these changes or the big challenges we have kind of feels like being in a forest fire. Um, and they don't pass as quickly as we'd like. 
Um, but sometimes if we can't get the fire to pass, what's, what the best thing we can do is to find the rocks. Um, and the rocks are the people that can sit with us in the heat yeah. uh, and be there as it moves through. And the way that forest fires work uh, is they are brutal and they are ruthless, but they're also nature's way of making space for what's to come. And we can't see what's to come. Uh, and it might not be what we've chosen, but we still have the ability to show up, even if it's not what we would have wanted, um, to help make a future bloom. This is so important. Most of the time we try to get back when something happens and we feel like we lost everything, we try to get back to where, where we were, but it's never going to happen. This is the past. It's not the nature of being is we, we go forward, right? So we can grow forward into something else, but we will never get back to where we were. And that's good news, actually, because it means we are learned something because we are, like you said, we are growing into that. So I love the way you're, you're presenting all of this because it's like, um, and I really believe in that. It's like you're, you don't have to suffer to learn. <laughs> Thankfully, there are other ways to learn. But usually when there is suffering, there is liberation at the same time. There is a, an opportunity for growth at the same time. Absolutely. And, you know, the impermanence is that thing whether I, I, I learned some of these concepts with, in a Buddhist nunnery in Myanmar, it was a very spiritual setting for it. Um, we can look at molecular biology and science, like all, any place you look, impermanence is the constant of life. Um, so we can fight it. It's going to be a losing fight. Um, yeah. Or we can learn how to work with it. And so much of life, that's the reality. Like it's about picking our battles, like accepting the things that we can't change um, but really honing in on where can we change things and how do we want to show up to those. Makes me think about the way we try to fix things sometimes. And fi I, I don't believe in fixing anything or maybe it's a, a chair or a table. <laughs> yes, But human beings, oftentimes when, you, when we try to fix something, it means you're, we are not in some way or another or in some level or another, we are not accepting what is. We are resisting what's happening and then we, we're like no 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 this is wrong so i'm gonna make it right but this is not how it works actually yeah absolutely you know it's interesting when i and this is i mean a very controversial topic but yeah when people talk about mental health uh and medication there's a very wide array of opinions uh around how that works and very strong opinions on either side and for what i can say from my own experience um like there were moments where medication was I think helped me stay alive. But for me, it wasn't, oh, I'm taking this pill so that something goes away. For me, it was, hey, this here right now is giving me the ability, is, will help give me the ability to show up and do the work that I need to do to get better. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, I think like with so many things in life, it's a spectrum and it's for so many different tools we have. Um, the tool isn't defined by its shape, it's defined by how we use it. If we use a hammer to throw it through a window, versus you know building a table it's very very different or just sitting on our table and never going to use um and so i think so much of what we experience in life we can they can often be used as tools even if sometimes they initially are seen as destructive um but also sometimes these tools have a time where they're not tools we just have to sit with the destruction and we have to sit with the pain. we have to sit yeah. with the grief and it goes back to that timing and that patience thing of if we think that everything has to be the perfect teacher and the perfect tool right away, 
we're just sort of shooting ourselves in the foot. Um, and, and that's, and I say that because I kind of went to the extreme of, you know, I ran from things, I numbed things, I was unhealthy in so many ways. And then when I did start to move into this treating my tragedies as tools, I, I think a lot of us, myself included, can swing the other direction where the second that something happens, it's like, okay, well, I need this to immediately be a teacher and immediately have this lesson and immediately grow from it. Um, and like, that's also not how it works. Cause when a seed is planted, it doesn't yeah. sprout overnight. It has that time where it's underground and it's dark and it feels like it's buried alive and like there's no hope and it has its shell at least. And then the shell breaks and it's like, oh crap, well, that was the one thing I had. I have nothing and it morphs into this mm. shape. It doesn't recognize, but then when it comes out and it sees the light of day and it blooms, it could have had no idea that's where it was moving. Um, but it was that time of being underground and unrecognizable um, and dark that led it to that positive place. So sometimes it's about learning how to sit with our dark, hard places, which sometimes when we talk about resilience, people in resilience work, I think, do so much good in the world, but there can, I think the way we interpret it sometimes can miss that important period yeah. or not create space for it or judge it. Uh, yeah. So yeah, so I'm very passionate about like, yes, resilience, yes, all these great things, <laughs> and also like, let's pay homage to the dark places. How do we find the beauty in it? Um, how can we create space for that as well? Because that's part of the human experience. Yeah. For me, this is true resilience. And, but actually, I see people getting stuck in both, especially with this um, new age uh, tendency to, so, okay, I, I see people getting stuck and not healing, actually, because they are in a fake positivity kind of either, no, no, I'm okay. I'm just having a, you know, I'm, a, I'm just a little bit stressed when they are actually close to burnout or depression. Or, as you said, jumping immediately as no no but i'm fine now yeah 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 i'm just yeah you know i had the depression but it was yesterday today i'm fine <laughs> i learned everything from it and i'm so grateful that it happened to me because uh, and it's too soon and i also see people being stuck into uh, shadow work and never getting out of that and getting into loop or yeah i need to sit with the pain and understand it and so on and so forth and then they just yeah it's a, it's a loop and they never go out of that yeah absolutely and i think you know, I'm very much a believer that like any positive we had have can be turned into a negative if we if we don't if we approach it in a certain way. And so that's where I think discernment and moderation um, and all of these different things come in. Uh, but I also love that point of like being able to acknowledge where you're at. When um, I learned so much about my dad when we were writing this book together, um, and when I was in the very beginning of my life. Um, it's interesting. I realized like, oh, I came into this world bringing light into dark places. And that's now so much of my work. And I didn't realize it had started <laughs> as that. Um, but I got my name Charlie from my grandfather. My mom's dad yeah. died suddenly while she was pregnant with me. Um, he was 56, um, died of a heart attack. So it was this huge trauma. And I came into this world as this light, especially for you know, my mom and my grandmother. Um, but also you know, that year, my dad was $10 million in debt. His personal guarantees were getting called in. He didn't know if he was going to be able to keep a roof over our heads. And, and yet in the, in the book, looking at that moment, he, he talks about holding me, looking into my eyes and that like, that was where he could be present and be okay in that moment. But wow. out of that moment, he wasn't pretending things were okay. He wasn't just lost in it, but it was just accepting what was, um, 
doing everything he could to change it, mm -hmm. um, not trying to move away the dark parts, but having yeah. a mom who could sit with him in it and say, I'm with you. How can I support you? Um, not saying we're making this going away, but saying I can be with you in this dark space. Finding, in his case, it was, you know, holding me or running on the beach, doing the things that were helping him while also obviously, you know, working around the clock so that we didn't lose everything. And, you know, very luckily it did work out. But when we look at, you know, his experience of so many different crises, somebody mm -hmm. for being able to ask for help, being able to not run from the dark things and kind of accept them. Um, and also being able to find those breaths of fresh air, those things that could infuse us with, uh, with light. And I think that it's very easy to fall, as we were saying before, kind of deeply into one of those, but it's really about having, I think, that full package yeah. uh, that is so necessary. And in my own experiences, um, being able to find those breaths of fresh air where I still felt like I was drowning, but it was, even if it was just for the slightest moment, uh, mm. being able to find that that could keep like a flicker of hope. Um, or if I didn't feel hope, it could kind of point to like, well, at least I might be able to get a breath. I might be able to get a second. Uh, and if that's yeah. all I have to hold on to, then that's what I hold on to. Yeah. Yeah. This sense of it is not the end yet. There is something to go. Yeah, well, and, <laughs> and it might not be down. It can be up. Yeah, well. and hope doesn't exist without challenge. Like if everything is possible, like yeah. challenge and darkness is actually a necessary component of hope. And like there's tons of research that's also done around this. Um, but, but yeah, abso absolutely. Um, and it, like being able, I think community and belonging, um, yeah. And that support system, which we, has come up sort of a couple of times, can oftentimes be that secret sauce. Yeah, yeah, community is vital for sure. And I love what you're saying about, you know, some most of the time when you are, we are caregivers, it's not about the change we are actually doing. It's not about doing something, but just being there and being really present with the person. Most of the time, that's all that's all we need when we are in a dark place. Just someone who is able to sit with us through pain or through whatever we are facing and not go away from that. Absolutely. I've seen that with the, you know, suicide prevention work, people who are sort of almost running towards them because the oh, pain yeah. is so big, but also with terminal illness when people are actually coming towards yeah. their death and there's no control over it. Um, in both cases, one of the most powerful things that we can do is simply be with that person and yeah. say, how can I show up and not run away? So a hundred percent. Yeah, I really want to to emphasize on that because I, I want people to realize that they can be caregivers too. They don't need, I mean, it's great. I, I'm not saying don't go to your doctors or psychologist, not at all. But we all, because we are human, we all can sit with someone in pain and just being there and holding them in, in their pain. And that's, that's already a lot we are doing. So we, and we can all do that. But okay, actually, I wanted to ask you about the books. I'm glad you brought, brought that up. How and where did this book come from? I love that you, you wrote it with your father. Was it his idea, your idea? How did it? Yeah, so my dad had been giving um, some talks to business at business schools around, he was calling it his key ingredients for happiness and success. Um, and, Sounds right? Uh, and... And, and it was very much, you know, the same foundation for personal world as professional. 
Um, mm. And so he was like, hey, well, if I put this into a book, I don't have to go around speaking. I can just, it can reach more people. And so he started writing um, and had asked for a little help on editing. And, um, you know, I've, I, I've always loved writing and uh, I'm a pretty direct person, especially with my, my dad. And so I started doing editing and I didn't hold back. I was, you know, I was very... <laughs> But I also know him well enough to know when he was saying something, kind of what he was trying to get at. Because mm. um, I knew him from inside his head better than any ghostwriter who, and he tried ghostwriters and it, none of it really fit. Mm-mm. And so when I was starting to be able to articulate what he meant, um, he was like, hey, this is like, do you want to do this thing? Like, let's <laughs> will you write this book with me. Um, and I didn't hesitate. I was like, absolutely. That, and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Because <laughs> uh, that was like, what, five years ago? It, five it was, years ago, yeah. kind of so adventure, was, right, to go through. Really, I, I joke, I'm like, that was my, was my longest relationship. Was <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but it was, because it was never the, you know, it was always on the side. It was, you know, I was mm. working and at Google and backpacking around the world like it was always something like a side project but it has is one of the things that I'm most grateful for and when I say you know my that bucket list of like you know I, I hope to live a long life but you know regardless when I look back at my life if I get that privilege this is one of the things that I know has it has made it more full and will make me more ready to leave um, and I actually people it, for some people talking about death can seem morose. And for me, it's actually a really positive force. It's sort of my North star. Because when I'm looking at things, the question I like to ask myself if I'm feeling lost is, you know, is what I'm doing going to make me more ready to die? And that can, and it doesn't have to be a big dramatic thing. Sometimes, you know, what you're doing is allowing you to pay the bills that you can focus on providing for your children or um, learn to, to, to support a bigger cause. It doesn't have to be a direct link, but it's like, does this somehow link into something? that is that core component and so this entire process so much so has been that way but it's been really a beautiful process because what it really meant was at climbing in inside my father's mind and understanding sort of how his mind works his thought patterns his emotional patterns and it wasn't like he knew that and then just shared it with me for him he learned that too um and so it was this beautiful sort of dance back and forth of us really taking a part of his mind so that I, because I I did most of the writing, he would, I would interview him and he would sort of write stuff down, but I would rewrite and and all of that and take his his experiences and put them into words. And the way that I was able to write in his voice was by really understanding his mental and emotional patterns and how he sees the world, Mm -hmm. which is very different than how I do. But a lot of his key practices for what allowed him unrelentingly high flying are the same things that helped me rebuild when it felt like there was nothing left. Oh, that's interesting. And that was really, that was really cool. But I would say the biggest gift is really like at this point in time, I can tell you my father's life and his mind at 25, at 30, at 35. And to feel like I know him at those ages, um, like I can't think of a more profound thing for us to share. Um, And our relationship now is, has just completely trans. It's so much deeper than I could have ever imagined. And now I have this whole interesting world of like, oh, mind mapping. Like it's actually this really useful tool that I can now bring to other people. And I never intended going into this book to be developing something that I would be sharing with others and helping whether, you know, it's for their businesses or their careers or their personal lives. 
like that was just a fun, not just a fun, but yeah, that was this beautiful thing that came from simply a place of how do we share your story? How do we help other people get the lessons that I was lucky to grow up with? That's beautiful. <laughs> it really is. And it touches me so because I, I really believe in the power of story and I actually I love that you're using storytelling a lot. And, but I, I don't even know how to word it, but there's something about this uh, helping your father find, not find, but unravel his own story maybe or <laughs> and find the story behind the story or I don't know. There's something fascinating in that. Especially because you're father and daughter, of course, but in any, it, it, it's a, the a similar process is interesting anyway for, for anyone to, to give birth, kind of, <laughs> to our story. Absolutely. I, I think it's this like, very alchemical process. Um, yeah. One, because our reality is defined by the stories that we yeah. accept in our head like yeah. even down to a sort of scientific level we don't see with our eyes we see with our brains and how our brains process our reality and then how that translates and how we give meaning to it um so when we can own and understand how stories are created in our head and start to shift them we can shift the realities we experience so that was one really powerful piece but then when we can decide how do we share that how do we extract the lessons from it then it kind of amplifies the power of that story uh, in such a big way. And so for my dad and I, um, doing that process together, he understands my psyche so much more, which mm. for him, it was huge because he didn't understand mental health and mental illness because he really, the way he approached the world and the way his mind works, is it's beautiful. But it's, if I don't like the way I feel, I change the way I think, and then I feel better. Um, and that's beautiful and that's worked for him. Um, when you hear that as someone who's experiencing post-traumatic stress in a very serious way, it can be a little frustrating. It's like a <laughs> little different. Um, but so for him to be able to not only understand his mind more, but then to understand, you know, I did so much sharing with myself to be like, here's what it looked like for me. And here's how I work with it. Um, it gave him, you know, at the end of the process, he said, you know, I, we realized he, has so much more empathy and he's an incredibly loving, compassionate person. So I'm not taking anything mm -hmm. away from that aspect of himself, but it was harder to empathize with other people when he couldn't conceptualize what that was like. And I think yeah. in general, uh, someone once said like, you know, if you would have a superpower, what would it be? Uh, and I said, if I could instantly um, implement or instill a sense of universal empathy in all human mm -hmm. beings, um, because some people, sometimes we say like, okay, world peace. Well, what, what is necessary for world peace? Like when we talk about conflict, which you know, my undergraduate was in international politics, I thought I was going to state department. I lived in Israel and I studied Arabic and I was going to solve peace in the Middle East. So that was a big part of my life for a long time. Mm. Um, you know, especially when I was like, yeah, I can, I can do that because that's a thing. Uh, but when we look at conflict, uh, there's so many different pieces of it, but one really huge part is the way we dehumanize other people. Mm -mm. Uh, and that doesn't only exist in hardcore wars. It, I'm, I'm in the U.S. right now. We don't have to look very far to see <laughs> yeah. polarization and the way that we dehumanize others. Yeah. But when we start to see the human behind the things we disagree with, like that's where we build that bridge of common ground and that's where we can relate um, both to other people and also like as an internal experience. So I think 
I think empathy has an extraordinary power to change the world. Um, and so that was another huge, beautiful outgrowth of our book was just being able to understand each other and the world at a much deeper place. Um, and in talking about it, it's actually really interesting. We had all this stuff that we had written and talked about. And one of the biggest things that people were interested in was our relationship and our dynamic because <laughs> there were people, your know, parents who were like, how do I have this with my children? Yeah. You know, most of us have been, have parents, um, whether they're alive or dead, like most of us have had relationships with parents. And so there were people who were like, how do I use this to shift my, like, how could I bring more of this into my relationship? So it's been really beautiful to see the ways this is kind of like had different outgrowths that I didn't necessarily know were coming. Yeah. So is this the way, is this the way you use with your clients? With, uh, I know you, you use storytelling with your clients. So is this one way you use for helping your clients to? Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. I use, it's, I use sort of like the tool belt metaphor. So like I, there's, I feel very lucky to have all these different resources. So it very much, depends on what a person needs but storytelling mm -hmm. is really so much at the core of it and kind of mm -hmm. like we were saying be able, being able to map out um our emotional patterns our thought patterns mm -hmm. uh, our defenses um that's really huge having that awareness so that we can then have the ability to react to it and so storytelling is a huge piece um a lot more different in terms of like application tools so having a background in meditation and yoga, uh, having run a school, a lot of those tools, um, there's, I'll sort of pick and choose of like, and I never say, here's what, here's what you're doing. It's very much a partnership. And so mm -hmm. as we kind of see where are the areas that need work, then I can kind of pull from my, you know, positive psychology, psychology, mm -hmm. um, yoga, meditation, mindful. There's all these different things I've been able to build my own skill set with. And so it's really a partnership with whoever I'm working with um, and what their goals are. Sometimes it's simply like developing myself in my life. Sometimes it's um, my relationship with my business partner or my workplace. Sometimes it's finding my way forward or healing from trauma. There's so many different goals. Mm -hmm. So really it comes down to what is our goal? And based on that goal is, is the tools that I bring into the conversation um, but I'm a very big believer in it being a partnership and not this like yeah. hierarchy. Um, and I, and that also comes from, I've done so much different work on myself over the years. Um, and again, that desperation being a tool, I've tried so many things I wouldn't have been open to simply because <laughs> yeah. everything else had failed. Um, and so the reason that I really take this partnership approach so seriously is how much empowerment that had given me when I was going through the process. And obviously, I'm always going through the process. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. One of my teachers, I mean, actually, uh, my teacher's teacher, for uh, Shiatsu, he was saying that if I don't learn anything with, uh, during a session with my clients, I failed somewhere. The client is my, I mean, the patient is actually my teacher. I, I need to grow with, uh, with every session I, I give. And I found this. I try to have this, uh, to apply this in my sessions, to always be uh, very curious about what the person is, is bringing to the table, because how can you know what they really need? Most of the time they actually know better than you do, but they, they don't want to see it. <laughs> so when you listen, you can, I, I love your approach actually of partnering and yeah, okay, I have a few tools. Let me see. Yeah, this one is going to be the best for now, I think, based on what you're, what you're saying. <laughs> 
Absolutely. And I love that you brought up curiosity. I think curiosity has been one of the most powerful mm. tools in my life and experience. Um, because if we, again, when we have these really challenging emotions, if we can get curious about it, that completely changes yeah. the story and the meaning of it. Um, and I think curiosity is sort of what keeps us alive. Like it keeps that youthful oh, excitement. Yeah. Uh, I was, I'm very, I'm very lucky to, I, I had caught up with a friend recently who I hadn't seen in a number of years. Um, and I sort of joked, I was like, yeah, it's sort of, you know, my mind feels a bit older than I am, but I was like, but my body feels younger than I am. <laughs> uh, and he sort of, he paused to be like, he had been, you know, he'd been with me in my life when Parkinson's was looking like a very likely reality where it did, where my reality did look quite degenerative. Um, and just in what had happened in the years prior. And so he kind of paused to be like, do you realize how amazing it is that you feel younger than you are? Mm. Because don't forget for years, your body felt like it was going downhill. Um, and so it's that really beautiful reminder of like, not forgetting, not holding on to those hard places, but allowing it to sort of be a reminder. You know, I, yeah, I was very yeah. lucky not have Parkinson's, but I still had a diagnosis that meant I was told I'd be reliant on Parkinson's medication for the rest of my life for muscle function. Um, and I had a point where um, I couldn't get through my work day without muscle relaxants to get my body to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just getting worse and worse. And so the way that I brought gratitude in was I would have these, one of the biggest challenges for me was hanging laundry. It sounds very simple, but like that fine motor movement and the weight was really hard in my hands. And so I was 24 or 25 years old, standing there crying over my laundry, being like, is this, is this it? Is it all downhill mm-hmm. from here? Um, and in that moment, it was a very weird approach to, to gratitude. I thought like, okay, if this is the best it's ever going to be, 20 years from now, 10 years, whatever it is, like, I don't want to look back on this moment and say, what the F were you doing? Why weren't you grateful for the fact that that was your biggest problem? And so in that moment, I kind of reframed it of, of like, if this is the best it's ever going to be, then let me appreciate the hell out of it. Um, so it was a very sort of like dark type of gratitude, um, but it's it, what was helpful and much easier to appreciate now that I'm out of it. Um, but it's like, no matter how dark our situation, usually like there's something that we can find in it yeah. uh, that can bring that light in. Um, but, but yeah, that... That was sort of a, a tangent out <laughs> away from that idea of, of partnership. But, um, but yeah, that curiosity of what are the possibilities um, and being able to stop taking that medication, which, you know, all the Western doctors I had interacted with said wasn't possible, was this really beautiful thing. It, it, it kind of sparked that question of, well, okay, what's true? What's real? Yes, yeah. uh, things I believed in aren't necessarily yeah. true. So it was really beautiful and liberating, but it was also terrifying. Uh-huh. Um, to not know what to believe and to challenge, like to challenge everything I'd ever believed in sounds like very liberating in some ways, but it was also very scary and actually a very dark time. Um, so it's that kind of texture to it that can come in. Yeah, we want growth, but we want stability at the same time. So we always try to balance both, right? Yeah. So back to the book, I would, because uh, there is something that says entrepreneur in the title yeah. but i feel like it's it might be really valuable for entrepreneurs but i feel like it it reaches beyond that am i right or absolutely so yeah so my dad is an entrepreneur he um had we tell the story of two businesses that he started built and sold um and they end up doing very well one he sold to coca-cola 
the other to Kimberly Clark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so out from the outside, it's simply like, oh, it's amazing and very successful. From the inside, it's like, this was crisis after crisis after crisis. <laughs> Uh, but what we do is essentially in the in the introduction of the book, um, we lay out so sort of the key philosophies, the the key practices, those ways of being. That's just those first beginning pages. And for us, you know, frameworks are are beautiful, but life is messy. So what we did is said, here's the things to pay attention to. We're not stopping. This isn't a pointed out thing. Here's the lessons to look for. But what we're going to do is we're just going to show you the deep, messy, complicated story. Uh, and we're going to show you the emotional reality, the mm-hmm. mental reality, the strategic reality of what it looks like for those dark, hard crisis moments. Um, so what does a framework look like when it's actually in the messy moments? And so essentially it's uh, obviously for entrepreneurs, it's great because it goes into so many of those different issues. Mm-hmm. But essentially if you're someone who wants to be doing something in the world, whether it's professionally or as if like with a fam, like, you know, your family, your personal life, whatever it is, and you face crisis or stress or overwhelm, um, that's what it's really useful for to say, like, here's what it can look like. Here's what navigating overwhelm really successfully looks like. Um, and navigating overwhelm successfully doesn't mean that it doesn't pull at you and tear at you. Um, it's really looking at like, let's shine a light on those storms. Um, and see what that sailor was actually doing to navigate through them. Although, to be honest, like, my dad is not a sailor, and I don't think he could tell not to say his little <laughs> 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 But when it's in that situation, uh, then he's great with it. <laughs> we tease each other, so he's fine with me poking. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard... I think it was in your Facebook lives you were doing with him. You were saying that we don't build a business. We keep going through the crisis from one crisis to the next, to the next, to the next. Exactly. <laughs> But actually more and more, I feel like um, entrepreneurship is more than, I mean, or being an entrepreneur is more of a mindset that a reality like I'm having in a business. I feel like many people can have this mindset, even if they are they have a, a nine to five or they are a, a regular job, but somehow it, it's, it seems to, for me, it, it seems to be really related to taking responsibility for your life. If I have to sum it up in like one, you know, one word. Yeah. That sense of accountability. And also coming back to that sense of like curiosity yeah. um, and what we were talking before about, um, the, you know, like boxes and categorizing a, a lot of the entrepreneurial mindset is, not necessarily taking like, here's how things work. It's very mm. much challenging how things work and yeah. being curious, how can this work better? How can this work differently? And not just saying, yes, here's the way the world works and I accept it. Um, and you don't have to be running a business to do that. You can ask those questions in whatever job you have, in whatever relationship you have, uh, in whatever mind that you're sitting in um, is really getting curious uh, and looking at why, do, why am I doing what I'm doing? What does all of this mean? Um, those questions are not always easy, but those are the questions that fuel the way forward. And with my, with my dad's second business, you know, when we tell the story in the book, um, was a latex glove company. And he had, his first business was frozen novelties. Like he had no background in this at all whatsoever. Um, but that beginner's mind, as we talk about in spirituality, that unfamiliarity 
was actually one of his greatest assets because he knew the business and marketing side of things. But from the very beginning, he was like, well, why is it done that way? Yeah. And in this case, it was looking at like a lot of chemicals that were going into gloves. Um, and he, was, he had very sensitive skin. So he was just like, huh, like that, that stuff would not do well on my body for a long period of time. And so he was just like, hey, is there a way we can take that out during the process? Mm. And people were like, yeah, but no one does that. Like, why would you do that? And he goes, let's, is it, it wasn't that they were in the middle of building machines. It wasn't hard to add in. So the fact that he was new and the fact that he was asking questions yeah. led to that. And that led to them being the first hypoallergenic glove that was out there. And when this was during the AIDS crisis, you know, when nurses started having to wear gloves 10 hours a day, eventually people actually started breaking out and having these really negative reactions. There were big lawsuits. There were all these things happening. And the reason that that didn't happen with the gloves that his company made was not because he was an expert, was not because he had been so like, here's how it's all going to work. It really just came from the beginner's mind and that sense of, huh, why do we do it this way? Yeah. And again, that can, that can show up in anything that we do. We all have the power to bring that to whatever work we're doing in the world. Yeah, completely. So we come to the last question. I have a last ritual question for everyone. And actually, I loved, so I'm coming back to the beginning of the last episode where you were talking about your story and you were talking about the worst moments of your life and you were saying that these moments were moments where you felt most alive. Mm -hmm. And I found this very interesting because my ritual question is, what makes you feel alive? Good one. Um, I would say what makes me feel most alive um, is connection, uh, present connection. Um, and it, obviously like with other people, like in relationship is so powerful, whether it's like the, you know, as Auntie Charlie, the little kids in my life, the friends, the family, romance, with like, Human connection, I think, is what authentic connection is really what makes you feel alive. Mm -hmm. And the key to that is also presence. So it's not like thinking about, you know, this or that. It's like that when you're with, when we're with someone and we're so with them, like that makes me feel alive. And I, that's part of why um, doing the volunteer work I do as a crisis counselor is so valuable to me is because that is so present. If you're being with someone in their darkest moments where they really need it, there's, it kind of, the bullshit comes to the side um, and it's mm. just truth and it's just deep connection. And so that can show up. That's why suicide prevention and work at end of life work, like th that actually makes me feel so alive because it's, it's just so true and so connected. And so I, my focus is bringing that into so much of what I do in my life. And it can be connection also with nature with our surroundings if you're a spiritual person with our spirituality um, and also with ourselves and our emotions like grief can be a beautiful thing when we are present with it and surrender into it um, and so can joy and happiness and anger um, so i think presence and connection um so deeply and fully with whatever we're doing like that is what makes my life feel so full and i think at the beneath all of that there's always a sense of love. Um, and that, um, I think that's why we're here. 
Well, thanks for sharing. That's beautiful. And um, well, actually, before we wrap up, is there something you you want to share that we didn't say and you want to share with the audience? Yeah, it's a great so many things. Yeah, <laughs> like, your eyes are saying, "Oh, there are so many things. How <laughs> can I choose?" Um, the thing that you know, there's so many different things, but the thing that actually just comes to my mind because I know we've been having our conversation, but I've only been speaking directly to the people watching is just and I know this it sort of kind of sounds kind of cheesy but it's just I have this like feeling of just like I love you like uh like what <laughs> like for especially for the people who are in spaces that feel uncomfortable or are feeling like um you're not enough or that you're doing it wrong or that there's hope for other people and not for you um just my message is like that's okay and that's normal um I've been there. A lot of other of us have been there. Um, and so you're not alone. I'm with you. Other people are with you. Um, and if there's any way that I can be of support, whether it's climbing out of those spaces or whether it's, you know, this other work that I do in, in the world, um, please reach out. Um, uh, and yeah, and I'm here for you, whether it's just as another human being uh, out here trying to figure it all out or something else. Um, but thank you for watching and listening. And thank you for the way you show up to yourself, uh, even, and especially if it feels like it's not all together. Well, thank you. That's a beautiful conclusion to this conversation. So we're going to wrap up for today. I feel like this conversation could go over and over and over. Yeah, <laughs> such a joy. So, I wouldn't be surprised if you come back to the show, if you, if you like one day, I will be uh, very glad to have you back. Um, but yeah, we're going to stop now. <laughs> so thank you very, very much for, for this conversation. Absolutely. And uh, you guys, make sure you check Charlie's work on... So you can find the book on... It has a website, crisisintosuccess.com. You can find Charlie at charliejaffe.com. It's C-H-A-R-L-Y-J-A-F-F-E.com. And she's on Instagram, Charlie Jaffe as well, and on Facebook. Obviously, all these links will be, as usual, in the show notes for this episode on the website integralialife.com. And that's the end. So thank you again, Charlie, for being with us today and sharing your wisdoms and tools and learnings with us. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you like what you hear, check the website integralialife.com for the show notes. Leave a comment. I love reading your feedback. Subscribe to the podcast and rate it on iTunes so you will help more people get access to this information. Till next time and until then, keep sparking life and going from a live-ish to a live. Bye-bye. À bientôt.